have your, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 4. Chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 today. Galatians chapter 4. First, first seven verses there. As we continue to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, Paul has been explaining how justification, that is that right standing that we can have before God, how it's only through faith and not through the Old Testament Jewish law. Central to this discussion is how people, especially Gentiles, can be included in the inheritance promised to Abraham and to his offspring. How can these Galatians... These believers in these churches know that they're included in the promised inheritance. And we've learned that Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham. And therefore, everyone who is in Jesus, everyone who is in Christ is included in this inheritance. Another way to say it is that everyone who is in Christ is a part of the gospel family. And we learned last week that in Christ we are one. No one who is in Christ is more in Christ than someone else who is in Christ. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. But once we're in Christ, we are equal, equally in Christ, equal recipients of that inheritance. We're equally part of the gospel family. But that may leave us wondering, how can I go from being outside of the family of God to being a member of the family of God? And Paul, he wanted to make sure that the Galatians were super clear in their understanding that their inclusion in the family of God was God's doing and not their own doing. So important as we study this book of, the Gal- of Galatians. Remember the false teachers are saying, you've got to do some good works. You've got to be obedient to the law, to the Old Testament law, if you really want to be a part of the family. And Paul's saying, no. Because that would mean that it's on you to do it. But salvation is by grace, which means God does all the work. And we simply have faith in him. And then he rescues us from our sin. He transforms us to live for him as his children. You want to make sure they knew it was God's doing, not their own doing. But what is it? What is it that God does So that people who are separated from God because of sin, which is all of us apart from Christ, so that we can share in that inheritance that belongs to Jesus, God's son. What is it that God does so that all of a sudden me, someone who is a sinner and is outside the family of God, now all of a sudden I am a full member in the family of God. What does God do? What Paul's going to say is that God adopts us into his family beautiful truth about our salvation the adoption that god does this work of adoption that he does in our lives and so as we read we want god to teach us truths about him and our salvation that he gives us through this passage of scripture before we read join me in prayer heavenly father would you bless the reading and the preaching of your word today For your glory, Father, and for our good, as we are led by your Holy Spirit to submit our lives to your Lordship, to bring you glory and honor in the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along with me as I read Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, 
as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. First question we want to ask is this. Why do we need to be adopted? Like why, why do I need to be adopted? And what, what Paul says in verses 1 through 3 is this, that adoption is necessary because of our status as slaves. Adoption is necessary because of our status as slaves. Why do I need to be adopted by God? Well, because I'm not automatically in God's family. I'm not automatically a recipient of this inheritance. He compares, he compares us to, to something that would have happened in Paul's day and time. Notice there that he references someone who is a child but is no different from a slave because he's under guardians and, guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And we're not living in this context, but we can know a little bit about what was going on in this day and time. What would happen, especially in a wealthy family, is that the father would have a son... And so that son is the rightful heir to the inheritance, but for a certain period of time, the father would place that child under these guardians and managers. We talked a little bit about this several weeks ago back in chapter 3. And one of these people in this son's life was kind of a strict disciplinarian. And he kind of cracked the whip, so to speak, and made sure that son went to school and did his homework and was in bed on time. And and so that was that word that we saw back up in verse uh, 24, that the law was our guardian. But now we come to another another role of of people that this father would place over his son. And, And these particular people, these guardians and managers, would watch over the inheritance, would be stewards of it. And so, in a way, the son at this point in his life, had no access to the inheritance. It was his, but it really wasn't his. And it was so much not his, because he was under these guardians and managers, that it was almost as if he was a slave. Did the slave, did the servant in the household get the inheritance? No. And so at this point in his life, he was no different than that servant, that slave. He he wasn't, even though he was, he wasn't, in a position where he had access to all the rights and privileges of being a son of his father. And that's what an inheritance is. It's the rights and privileges of being the son to the father. But this, this young boy didn't have those yet. And so Paul says, in some way, we were like that. The Galatians were like that. Paul was like that. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Well, what does he mean by that, these elementary principles of the world? Or it could be translated elementary spirits of the world. He's going to use this word again in verse 9, and he uses it two other places in the Bible, in in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. 
he uses this word that can be translated elementary principles or elementary spirits. We could spend a lot of time unpacking this word and talking about what it could mean and, and what it would have meant in this day and time. Let me just summarize all of that and say that what Paul is, means by these elementary principles of the world, which we are enslaved under, is simply a sinful view of salvation. And that sinful view of salvation is a man-made view of coming to God and being part of his family. Whether you're a Jew and you thought that the way to be a part of God's family was by being obedient to the Old Testament law, or whether you grew up as a Galatian Gentile and you thought that these pagan gods that your people worship was the way to get in good with God, have a right standing before God, either way, those are man-made religions. And that's a sinful view of salvation because that's thinking that God will save me, will justify me based on my worth, me being good enough. And whether I'm trying to follow the Old Testament law and do that or I'm trying to follow Greek gods and goddesses, either way, it's a sinful view of salvation. I'm trying to earn my salvation, those elementary principles of the world. And Paul says that we're enslaved to those things. We think... I can do it. I can do it. And God will save me because I'll be good enough. It's a simple view of salvation. And and apart from God's intervention in our lives, we'll live continually enslaved to that view of salvation. That I can do it. I can do it. But we can't. We need to be adopted because apart from adoption, our status is that of a slave. Where we are not able to enjoy the rights and the privileges of sonship. We're not able to gain the inheritance. But God doesn't leave us there. He adopts us. So this next question then is what has to happen in order for us to be adopted? What has to happen? Paul talks about this in verses 4 and 5. And he says that adoption is possible because of what God has done through Jesus. I know that seems like a very simple statement. But I want you to notice where the emphasis is. Adoption is possible because of what God has done through Jesus. Not because of what you have done or what I have done. When we're in a state where we need to be a part of this family, because if I'm a part of this family, then I will have the rights of sonship and I will get to share in the inheritance but I'm not a part of that family. I'm just, I'm just a, a child over here. I don't go to that family and say, you will adopt me. No. That family must come to me. That father must come to me and say, I will adopt you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's placing all the emphasis of our adoption on what God has done for us through Jesus. Well, what is that? What is it? What, what has God done? Verse 4. We see that God has sent forth his son. This is the plan to adopt. This is God's plan to adopt us into his family and involves sending forth his son. Beautiful reference to the coming of Christ and that the fullness of time. What that means is that Jesus came at the right time for us. God, the sovereign plan of salvation. 
the plan that he has had from, from the beginning of this world, from before this world began. And it all culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If we were to flip over to the book of Ephesians, we find these words. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The coming of Jesus there in that, in that stable in Bethlehem was not an accident, nor was it simply an afterthought of God. But God had planned that at just the right time in the history of this world, He would send forth His Son for a very specific purpose. And what was that purpose? To be born of a woman. That is to be a human. And to be born under the law. What does that mean? He came as a human like us. He was fully human, born of woman. And He was born under law. Even as a, specifically as a Jew, he was, he was Jewish. He was born under the Jewish law. It was a way that he wasn't like us. Even though each of us are born of woman, we're human, and each of us are, in a way, born under law, even if we're not Jewish, we're born under the weight of God's law. The Bible tells us that we are under sin as well. Even Paul has told the Galatians that they are under sin apart from Christ. Jesus, though, was born of woman. He was born under the law. But never once was he under sin. Because he did what you and I can never do. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He was sinless. He was under the law, but never under sin. We don't understand what that's like. Because we're under the law and under sin because we break the law. But Jesus never did that. Why is that important? Because his mission, verse 5, was to redeem us. Which means he was going to pay the price. He was going to be a sacrifice. He was going to pay the redemption price to purchase us out of our slavery. Adoption is costly. It's costly. And God's going to pay the full price for our adoption. And that price is the life of his son. The only way that price is going to be good enough is if... There's a human who is perfect. That's the only sacrifice that God can accept. So he sends his son to this earth to be born as a human under the law, but then he never sins so he can be the perfect sacrifice. So that when he goes to Calvary, when he goes to the cross and he dies, he can say, it is finished. The payment for sin is finished. The adoption price is finished. So that God can now adopt people through Christ into his family. Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We talked about this last week, so I'll just briefly mention it. Why as sons? Why don't we just say adoption as children? Because Paul's making the legal case here that especially in this day and time, it was the son who received the inheritance. And so we want to be adopted as sons so that our status has changed from a slave to a son. And that happens through what God has done in His Son, Jesus Christ. Adoption is possible because of what God has done for us through Jesus. It's adoption, though, that we must receive. That we might receive adoption as sons. 
Maybe you ask the question, well, how do we receive it? Well, Paul said over and over and over again in this letter, it's through faith. By trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, we receive this gift of being adopted as sons of God. But when we ask this question, why? Like, what, why would I want to be adopted? Like, what's the benefit of adoption? Well, let me tell you, there are some real benefits to, be an adopt, to being adopted by God as his sons. And Paul talks about this in verses 6 through 7. And he says that adoption is beneficial because of the change it brings. Adoption is beneficial because of the change it brings. You know that going from being a member of one family to being a member of another family brings change in your life? Especially if you're adopted into the family in such a way that now you're a rightful heir to the inheritance. Let's say I was in a family that, that had nothing. And then all of a sudden I'm adopted into a family that has a lot. That's wealthy. Now all of a sudden my, my status in life has changed, right? Because now I'm an heir to an inheritance that I didn't have before. And that's exactly what happens. There's a change that takes place in our life because of the adoption that God brings into our lives. Verse 6, And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want to tell you three changes that take place in our lives. The first is this. Adoption changes our relationship from broken to intimate. That's our relationship with God. Apart from God adopting us into his family, apart from the redemption price that Jesus paid, we have a broken relationship with God. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned, mankind's relationship with God has been broken. But through the adoption that God works in our lives, that relationship goes from being broken to being intimate. Notice what happens. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba is the Aramaic word for father. And then we have the Greek word for father, which is translated in our Bibles into English. Father It's kind of confusing. Abba is the Aramaic word. Father is a Greek, based on a Greek word, but... It's translated into English, but they didn't translate the Abba into English. I know it's kind of confusing. Here's the main point. Two times Paul is saying, Father, Father. Father in the spoken language, common language of Aramaic. Father in the language of Greek. What's the point? We get to cry out to God, our maker, who we have sinned against and who, who we deserve to be punished by. We get to call him Father. That was an intimate word. It, 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 it signified an intimate relationship, not this father who's way off and I don't have access to him, but a father who I get to run into his presence anytime I want. And he's there to welcome me as his son. How is that? How is that possible? Well, God didn't just send his son in verse four, but in verse six, he's also sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Part of the new covenant that God promised back in the Old Testament was that God's Spirit would come into us and would transform us from the inside out. 
Jesus does an outward work on the cross that then is applied to our lives. God sends the Holy Spirit into our lives that does a work that changes us from the inside out. And so because of the Holy Spirit in us, which is possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we now, instead of being separated from God, we have God as our Not only does adoption change our relationship from broken to intimate, it changes our status from slave to son. It changes our status from slave to son, so you are no longer a slave but a son. That's good news. And not only that, but adoption changes our eternity from hell to heaven. It changes our relationship with God from broken to intimate. It changes our status before God from a slave to a son. And it changes our eternity from hell to heaven. Because if we die in our sins, having not been adopted by God, then we will experience punishment rather than the inheritance. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the redemption, because of what the Spirit has done in our hearts, the transformation, now, instead of the punishment, we get the inheritance. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? It's beneficial. Not just now, but for all of eternity to be adopted into the family of God. And it's a work that only He can do. So what does this matter for my life? Well, it matters a lot. Not just for eternity, but how we live our lives right now. Our adoption now leads us to give God all the glory. Notice who's doing all the work here. God sent His Son. God sent His Spirit. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not by works. He's told us that over and over, especially if you want to see that. Go to chapter 2, verse 16. And so we must give God all the glory for our adoption as sons. Adoption leads us to give God the glory. Adoption leads us to live with joy. Because here's the truth. No matter what happens in this life, no matter our circumstances, no matter what's given to us or what is taken away from us. We are adopted and we have the inheritance and nothing can take that away. So it causes us to live with joy in any and every circumstance of life. Whether in little or in much, whether in want or in need, Paul said in Philippians. We're satisfied in Christ and we live with joy. We rejoice because we have been adopted causes us to live with joy. Our adoption also, though, leads us to live with obedience. We have a new father. And because he's adopted us into his family, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him. And as our father, he calls the shots in our lives. We submit to his authority. And so we live our lives in obedience to him. If you're adopted by God, and you're here today, you have received salvation, He has adopted you into His family, then that should be evident in the way that you live your life. In your love for Him, your love for His church, your love for others, your obedience to His Word, the words that you say, the attitude that you have, your actions towards others, the way you respond to situations. We're to live holy because our Father in heaven is holy. It changes us in such a way that it leads us to live in obedience. But it also leads us to pursue 
healthy relationships with others who have been adopted. Here's, what, here's another cool thing about our adoption. Not only now do I have a father, an eternal heavenly father, I also have a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a package deal. You don't get the father without the brothers and sisters. And unfortunately, some people want the benefits of being a child of the father, but don't want the responsibility of being involved in the family. Loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we talked about last week, not picking and choosing which brothers and sisters we want to love, but loving all because we're all equal members of the family of God. It leads us actually, the adoption leads us to be involved in God's family. And where do we find his family? In the church. And so if we're not involved in the church, and we're not loving one another in the church, and we're not serving one another in the church, we're not really living out the adoption that God has given us. The last application, how this changes us, that our adoption leads us to pursue not only healthy relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, but adoption leads us to pursue relationships with people who haven't yet been adopted into the family of God so that we can share with them how they too can be adopted and become a part of God's family. Because as a child of God, who now realize, wow, I love living my life as a child of God. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. But man, the hope of eternity, the, 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 the knowledge that my sins are forgiven, being able to lay my head down on my pillow at night, knowing that if I, I never wake up here in this earth, that my sins have been paid for. You can't put a price on that. Unless the price is the Son of God on the cross. Man, I'm thankful for that. Now I realize what, what a joy it is to be a part of this family. And so then when I go out and I see someone who is not a part of this family, who is not now right now an heir to this inheritance, my heart wants to break for that person. Because I should look at that person with compassion, compassion to say, no, they're not, getting, they're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. They're not experiencing the joy of salvation and it leads me. My adoption by God leads me to want to share the gospel with others so that they too can be in on this beautiful family, in on this inheritance, so that their status can change from a slave to a son. Adoption. It's a work of God. And he gets the glory. And it radically transforms who we are. Are you, are you a slave or a son? Have you been adopted by God or not? The price has been paid. We simply receive that adoption. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And then God rescues us. He adopts us. And we're a part of His family. Now and forever. What family do you belong to? What family?
I hope and pray that you're a part of the gospel family. That you've been adopted by God. If you haven't, today, you can trust in Christ. You can give your life to Him. And He will welcome you as a loving Father. Wrap His saving arms around you. If we have been adopted by God, how is that changing our lives? Can people tell it? People know who, who our Father is. They know that it's God. Are we living for His glory? Are we living with joy? Are we living in obedience? Are we living in healthy relationships with God's people? And are we living with a heart of compassion for those who haven't yet been adopted into the family? I don't know how God's leading you to respond to his word today. My prayer for you and for me is that we would be obedient. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. But Father, the only way that we can love you is because you have transformed us. And even when we were so unlovable, even in our sin, you chose to send your son to pay a very costly and high price so that we, as people who are rebels against you, so that we could be adopted into your family. And Father, you tell us here in this passage and throughout your word that this adoption isn't just a small little thing. This is a radical transformation. This is a radical change of status that we go from, from deserving only hell and having only that waiting on us. To being rightful heirs to the inheritance that only rightfully belongs to your son. And yet, because of what you have done, we get to share in that inheritance with Jesus Christ, your son, our Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that no one would leave this place today not a part of your family separated from you in a broken relationship with you. Father, that if there's anyone in that position, that you would draw them to yourself, to repentance and faith in Jesus. And Father, for those of us who have been adopted by your gracious, saving power, Father, I pray that it would be evident in the way that we live our lives each and every day. That we would live as your children. With joy in our hearts. Knowing that we are your sons. And we get to share in an eternal inheritance. Forever in heaven. Father, we give you the glory. It's only because of you, your love for us. That we can rejoice in our adoption as sons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.